0: There's an old Jay Leno joke that makes me laugh. So you're all going to have to tolerate a bad joke right out of the box this morning. (laughs) Actually, it has a point, I promise. Two guys are out hunting, and they come upon a huge hole, and one of the guys says, whoa, how deep is that? The other guy says, I don't know, let's see, and they find this rusty old anvil sitting nearby, and... They drag it over and they heave it into the hole and shh, the anvil whistles all the way down the hole and the guys don't even hear it hit the bottom. The hole is so deep. The next thing the hunters know, they hear this rapid clippity-clop, clippity-clop approaching and a goat comes flying by them, almost knocking them over. They can't stop it. The goat soars into the air, falls right down into the hole. A few seconds later, the hunters see this old guy running toward them. Becky! He's crying, Becky, the man reaches the hunters and he says, hey, you fellers, have you seen a goat go by? The one hunter says, yeah, we did just now. The thing went by like at 80 miles an hour and jumped right into that hole, to which the old guy says, that's impossible. I had her chained to an anvil. <laughs> well, thank you to the three people who uh, enjoyed my, hum- my sense of humor, but I like it. <laughs> In all seriousness, I, there's a purpose. To that little, and I want to tell you a little secret, and uh, this is really what it's all about today. We are all more like Becky than we care to admit. And the anvil that takes us down, an impossibly deep hole in this culture today, is two things, work and finances. Work and money have a way of defeating us like nothing else in the culture today. In a warped view of either, we're goners, just like the goat. We're continuing this series this morning called Simplify. It's an all-church study that we're doing for four weeks. In case you haven't been here, we launched it last week. And today we're going to be talking about how to simplify our lives in two uh, key areas, and that is in our working world and in our finances. And these two fronts may seem kind of Uh, different, but they are intimately connected. We work in order to earn money, and we can only spend the money our work has allowed us to earn, in theory, anyway. One of the reasons I say our money is like an anvil that sends us careening down a black hole is that for far too many of us, we refuse to live within the boundary lines of our earnings. And instead of learning to be content, with the provision that God has provided us, we say, no, I think I know better what I need to buy, even if it means that I need to go into debt to do that. And far too many of us are, uh, have, have reached that debt level that is debilitating. It is single-handedly robbing so many people of peace and joy in their life. And as it relates to our working world, I hear far too many stories of people who are discontented in their jobs. So today we're going to talk about how to evaluate your job's effectiveness and how to make a change if that time has come to relaunch your career. You've probably noticed that when you hate your job, all of life feels like drudgery, doesn't it? Likewise, when you're up to your eyeballs in debt or when your spending is selfish and out of control, something in your soul always feels just a little bit off, or maybe a lot off for some of us. On the flip side, when we are thriving at work and when we're following God's principles for managing our money, we find ourselves breathing deeply of an inner peace uh, that we so desperately crave. And my guess is that we've all experience, had experiences or known people who, when given the opportunity to be honest and faithful and fair, bowed to the pressures of ego and greed and selfishness and made some foolish decisions that usually lead to a predictable end. And the truth is, when we reject God's ways, that's usually how we end up, sooner or later in some Uh, in some way that we're not uh, pleased with, that's not giving us peace and joy in life. What I'd like to do today is to work our way through a series of alignments related to achieving satisfaction both with our job and with our money. Now alignment is a useful thing. If you've ever driven a vehicle that is misaligned, you know how much effort it takes to overcome the car's tendency to pull to either the left or to the right. And you and I are sort of like that car. When we are living in alignment with God's purposes, we're able to track straight and true along the path that God has laid out for us to walk. When we're living out of alignment, we find ourselves veering off course, one way or the other. All throughout Scripture, we're encouraged to keep our feet on the path of righteousness, which means the path of right living, the path that honors God. And today we're going to look at nine alignments pertaining to work and money that help us to stay on this right path. And if you've joined uh, us in working our way through Bill Heibel's book, Simplify, which is the book we're studying as a, as a congregation, or maybe you're in a small group experience uh, and studying uh, Simplify theory, uh, we, you will recognize that these alignments are his. These are Bill's, not mine, but, we're going to, uh, but they're powerful words for all of us today. So let's begin with the the alignments that are related to our finances. And the first alignment regarding our finances is this simple acknowledgement, this simple belief that all we have comes from God. All we have comes from God. In our culture, we tend to be suckers for a rags-to-riches story. We love to hear about the young person who grows up in a rough neighborhood and overcomes a thousand obstacles, eventually rising to become the CEO of a successful company. We give that kind of person lots of credit, lots of accolades, lots of press, lots of awards. But here's what we must not forget. When that person takes the stage to to, uh, receive their umpteenth award, what do they do? They thank a whole slew of people. They thank their mom for persevering and raising four kids alone. They thank their teachers and high school principal who saw something special in them and worked to draw it out. They thank their coaches and mentors who refused to quit on them when they were about to quit on themselves. They thank all the people along the way who helped them to rise above their circumstances. But only rarely do we hear someone think to thank God for all of their blessings. And if you and I are honest, we also have a whole slew of people to thank Our parents, teachers, bosses, mentors, coaches, neighbors, extended family members, friends, all play a part in who we are today. And guess who's behind all of that investment? It's God. God knew you, the scripture says, before you were born. He has cared for you every step along the way of your life's journey. He has allowed helpful people to cross your path so that you could rise above the challenges that you need to face. In addition to placing helpful people around us, God has wired us with helpful gifts. He's given us capabilities and talents and insights and specific bents on how we can excel. He has given us educational opportunities and challenges or chances for development and growth. He's also given us material possessions along the way. And all that he asks for in return is that we use all of these things for his good. He asks that we be grateful for all the marvelous things we have, our talent, our possessions, our network of friends, and he asks us to just stop and say thanks. People who are living in alignment financially are those who recognize that all we have is a direct result of our Heavenly Father. And they know that they're not self-made people. The second alignment pertaining to our finances is this, I live joyfully within God's current provision for my life. You know what kills financial alignment faster than anything else? It is discontentment. Discontentment says I don't have enough. Discontentment says what I, don't, what I do have is, is not nice enough, it's not new enough, it's not big enough, it's never enough. Discontentment says, I want what he has. I deserve what she has. Discontentment says, I know I can't afford this, but I've already decided that I want to buy it. Discontentment says, I worked hard to be able to buy nice things, and so I'm going to. Discontentment says, nobody's going to take care of me if I don't take care of me. Discontentment says, once I get this, then I'll be happy. I'm not asking for the world. I just want a little bit more. You know what kills discontentment faster than anything else? Contentment. Isn't that brilliant? Contentment. Any guess as to how we get to the place of contentment? By practicing gratitude. We practice gratitude like it's our job. Because truthfully, according to Scripture, it is our job. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Gratitude says, thank you, God, a million times over. Thank you for seeing my need and promising to provide for me. Knowing that God is the true provider, gratitude says, I trust you, God. What I have is enough. What I have is big enough and new enough and sufficient enough for my real needs. Gratitude says, I don't have to live in want. I don't have to covet what somebody else has. I don't have to keep up with the spending habits of other people. I refuse to go into debt to buy something I can't afford. And gratitude says, God sees me, he cares for me, and he provides for me. Gratitude says, I know that happiness comes only from God. Gratitude says, I'm simply a manager of all these resources, and I've trained myself to live in contentment. God says to us in the scripture, prove yourself faithful in the small things so that in the big things you will be found faithful as well. Whatever your provision level today is, insist on being content there. Here's the third financial alignment. I honor God by giving the first tenth of all my earnings to God's purposes in the world. Now I'd like to tell you how many conversations over the years I've had with people, individuals, or couples that ended with these words. And then we started tithing. And that one act of faith has changed everything in our life. Show me someone who is faithful to give the first tenth of their earnings to God's work through the local church, and I will show you a person who has radically simplified their life. Not any tenth but the first tenth. Not 9%, not 8%, not 3%, but the first tenth. People who give the first tenth of their earnings to God's kingdom have clean hands and light hearts, and they sleep a lot easier. Why? Because they are obeying scripture. And because they are walking by faith, because they are trusting God to do what he says only he can do. You see, we serve a God who sustains all of creation by a simple act of his will. And only God can feed thousands of people with a few loaves and two fish. Only God can part the waters of a sea and rescue an entire nation that is being chased. Only God can raise a dead person to life again so that he can walk and talk. And only God can do the things that you and I need desperately done in our life. The stuff of miraculous multiplications. The stuff of radical rescues and dead things coming to life. Who among us hasn't had, at some time or another, more, dollar, more debt than dollars at the end of the month, right? We've stared down unexpected expenses. We've realized, there, where's the money coming from that's going to be able to cover this? Who hasn't given in and bought something unnecessary, despite money being tight? See, we all veer off course from time to time. But God says you can get back on track today. And the best place to start is with tithing. Declaring to yourself, to your family, and even to your money that as for you and your house, God is in charge. You want good God stories to tell about how you achieve mastery over your finances? Give God the first tenth of your income and stand back and watch what God will do. The fourth alignment is this. I set aside a portion of all my earnings into a savings account for emergencies, for giving opportunities, and for my later years. After we've given our first 10% to God through the local church, we take that second 10% and we give it to ourself. You heard me right. Pay yourself. Put that second 10% into a savings of some sort, knowing that you'll probably need it someday because water heaters break and cars need repaired. Medical emergencies rise, taxes increase. There are a thousand ways that a financial winter may come to us. But I guarantee you this, winter does come. The easy breezy days of financial summertime don't last forever. Winter's going to come, and when it does, we know we can be steady because we've planned for it, we're ready, we're okay. Pay yourself with the same discipline that you pay your tithe. Do it each time, do it on time, whether you're in the mood to do that or not. It makes a difference. And then finally, the fifth alignment related to our money is this. Live each day with an open ear toward heaven, eager to respond to any whisper of God regarding your resources. This is where things get fun. And I want to tell you a story. It's about a pastor who was working on his sermon one day in a small neighborhood diner. And he noticed that the server, a woman, was having a pretty rough day. She was buzzing from table to table, meeting every demand for coffee, for breakfast, for extra napkins, as best she could. But something was obviously on her mind that day. The pastor had seen uh, her check her phone a couple of times, and and at one point she was scurrying back to the kitchen, and, and she looked at her phone, and something she saw, whether it was a text or an email, stopped her just up short. And... Whatever the news was, it caused her appearance to just totally cloud over. Her eyes began to well up with tears. She didn't have time to linger, so she put the phone back in her pocket and quickly resumed her duties. pastor was partway through his preparation that morning when he sensed a whisper from God. And as he describes it, God asked him to stop working on his sermon at that moment and write this woman a note of encouragement. Wanting to obey God's prompting, he flipped to a blank sheet of paper, began jotting down a few encouraging words and as he wrote, a second prompting came and this one was a little tougher to swallow. God seemed to be whispering to him, I also want you to give her a breathtaking tip, $100. Now this pastor was a frugal kind of guy. A hundred bucks was a lot of money for him to part with, but he was absolutely sure that that's what God was asking him to do. And so with a quivering hand, he began counting out the bills in his wallet. He wasn't even sure he had that kind of money on him, but he did. And so after uh, subduing his shock and after he gathered his materials together, he anchored the note and the tip under his empty coffee cup, and he left the diner knowing that he'd done exactly what God had asked him to do that day. But the story doesn't end there. A week later, this pastor was back in that same neighborhood diner. He was being waited on by the same person. After he finished his breakfast, as he was gathering his papers to leave, the server stopped by his table, and she handed him a card, and she said, read this sometime later. Guess what it said? That morning the previous week, her husband had just informed her that she would be served with divorce papers that day, that he was leaving her. Their marriage was over. And her note ended with these lines. That day was one of the worst days of my life. But then I found your note and your financial gift, and it reminded me that God is faithful and God will provide for me. It's true, isn't it? God will take care of us. We just never know what good things God will do through us if we only have ears to hear him when he calls. So tune your hearing to God's voice and be available when he calls. Be a person Through whom God's resources can freely flow. Okay, let's switch gears for just a couple of moments and briefly look at the second of the two places where we tend to get jammed up in life, and that is in our working world. You and I spend at least one third of our lives at work, doing our jobs, and yet far too many of us are barely surviving in those environments, let alone thriving the writer of Ecclesiastes describes work as a gift from God and says that we can actually be happy in our toil. So let's briefly look at four workplace-related alignments uh, that hopefully will challenge your work life. The first one is passion. Someone once said that passion is energy, and I think that's A fitting description as you survey the experiences you've had and the opportunities you've been given and the coursework you've studied and the hobbies you've dabbled in along the way, what would you say gives you the most energy? What are the things that consistently seem to fire you up, to give you passion in life? Is it mentoring at-risk youth? Is it gardening? Is it writing? Is it tinkering under the hood of a car? Is it teaching math, or caring for animals, or caring for elderly people? Maybe it's caring for people with disabilities, or caring for your family, or cooking, or sewing, or training other leaders, or taking pictures, or writing songs. See, there are a million things in the world that fire people up. The question is, what is it for you? And I would like to encourage you today to spend a few minutes this week with that question. What always seems to fire me up? Ask the question and then answer it, not with what you think you should feel, but with what you actually do feel. And take a closer look at the cl- current job you have. Does it relate at all to what you're most deeply passionate about? You know, there are seasons um, in every one of our lives because of certain situations when we find ourselves doing a job we don't want to do. Summers when I was in college, I had a job I hated. I hated. But it paid the bills, so I got up and went every morning. You know, like it or not, some of us do that. But let's be clear, I'm not asking you to quit your job today just because it doesn't perfectly align with what you're passionate about. Instead, a reasonable response to this exercise is to keep an eye on that area of passion while doing the job that you're blessed to have right now and ask God to open doors that will lead you closer to your passion. Maybe it's a volunteer opportunity that will allow you to get near it. Maybe it's an evening class to learn more about it. Talk to people who are good at doing those things that you're interested in doing. Keep those areas of passion in mind so that if and when God presents an opportunity for you to do that vocationally, you're ready to jump in. The second working world alignment is culture. What is your work culture doing to you? If you've ever received a paycheck, then you know that every place of employment has a certain culture that is distinct to that organization. Culture is the set of norms that guides everything from how decisions are made to the dress code. Culture is what tells you whether it's okay to arrive at your nine-to-five job at 9.15, or you better be there by 8.45. It tells you what uh, you need to be prepared for at a given meeting. It's, it's, it's what determines how likely you are to speak up when you think something's Unfair. See, culture is established by people, which means that there will always be aspects of corporate culture that we wish we could change. Be that as it may, I still find it wise to step back every so often and say, what impact is my workplace culture having on me? Go ahead and think about that. Think that through. What is the impact that your workplace culture is having on you? Do you enjoy going to work every day? Or do you dread it? Do you feel spent in a good way at the day's end? Or are you just coming home empty and exhausted and maybe even angry? What is the impact that your workplace culture has on your family life? On your friends? On how you treat the dog when you get home? I don't know. My point is this. Examine carefully the impact your workplace has on you so that you know where things stand. But here's the second part. What are you doing to your work culture? In my leadership experience, I find there are really two kinds of employees. One type makes the culture better, the other makes it worse. Another brilliant insight today, isn't it? There are people who are either culture builders or culture busters. And once you've assessed the impact that your culture, or your workplace culture is having on you, I strongly encourage you to consider the impact that you are having on that culture. Now, it's easy to draw up a list of all the ways that our workplace culture is awful, but what you would be overlooking is the second part. How are you affecting the culture? Do you add to the culture, or do you take away from it? Do you bring life and energy to the culture a sense of diligence and expertise, or are you just an outright drain to everybody around you? Here's what I know. Every one of us can do better on this front, and until we rightly assess how we are adding vibrancy and vitality to the workplace culture, we've only addressed half the equation. If your workplace culture is broken, first consider how you can help to fix it. Maybe it's just showing up on time. Maybe it's coming to work with a teachable spirit, or being a person who's true to their word. Find ways to encourage your boss, even if that person is a little tough to get along with. Don't be a gossip. Be honest in your dealings with people. Smile a little. Instead of playing Candy Crush on your breaks, go see if there's something you can do to encourage someone else who's having a problem or some issue that you can help solve. Even if your colleagues begin to look at you like you're crazy, choose to be a culture builder. And then only after you've racked up some time in that culture building camp can you sort out what really still remains broken in the culture you serve. And if you find that brokenness is just too much to take, maybe it's time to ask God to uh, begin to open a door of departure for you so that you can preserve your own health and vitality in your own spirit. If, on the other hand, you discover that you're part of the problem, then ask God for wisdom and grace on how to stay in the culture-building uh, method, mode there. Here's the third working world alignment, and, it's, and I, I refer to it as challenge. It's always good to strike the right balance between being dangerously over-challenged and being under-challenged in our work. And only you can manage that dynamic. If the organization where you work is known for using and abusing, you know, its staff, 80-hour weeks, substandard benefits, modeling, uh, inappropriate moral conduct and dishonesty and all that kind of stuff, then consider what you can do to take responsibility for standing up and saying enough is enough. Or if you're struggling in a job that underutilizes your skills and your initiative and your expertise, maybe begin praying that God will lead you to a role that's a better fit. But again, only you can manage this stuff. Only you know what's right for you. And the fourth and final work-world alignment is compensation. There's this age-old balance in the workplace that most of us try to strike, even if it's subconsciously. We want to love what we do and we want to get paid a lot of money to do it. Am I right? That's why so many educators get incredibly fired up about pouring knowledge into the minds and hearts of the next generation, but incredibly frustrated sometimes about not receiving a better wage to do it. And by contrast, we have professional athletes in this country signing contracts that will net them hundreds of millions of dollars to entertain us and play a sport they're passionate about. But for the rest of us, sometimes we love what we do, but realize we're not receiving a fair exchange for doing that. Sometimes we don't necessarily love what we do, but there's a hefty paycheck, so we keep doing it. I want to close with a story. I want to give you just a capsule of a story from, it's really a fantastic story written in the book of Acts, chapter 12, about the Apostle Peter's unexpected prison break. And in this story we find King Herod, and he's on a rampage. And he's going after church members, and Herod has no use for any of Christ's followers, and he is committed to getting rid of every Christian. He's just murdered James, the apostle, and now he's thrown Peter in jail. And just to be sure that there's not going to be any funny business, he assigns 16 guards to Peter's cell. And as the story goes, one night Peter's sleeping, and an angel of the Lord appears right by his side and wakes him up and shakes him and says, hurry up, get up. And the shackles that had him bound to the nearby guards inexplicably fell away as the angel said, get dressed, Peter, get your shoes on, and stunned, Peter does just what the angel says. And the angel then told Peter to grab his coat and follow him out of the jail. And I'm sure Peter must have been flabbergasted at this mind-blowing turn of events, but he is smart enough to follow even though he can't explain what just took place. And the scripture tells us that the next morning the entire jail is in an uproar as, it is, as it's discovered that Peter's gone. And how did he get out when 16 strong guards were guarding him? What kind of magic trick was this? And you know, as I read that story again, I can't help but think how God wants freedom for all of us. God's intention for us has always been not to be bound, whether that's literal bondage or bondage of some figurative type, whether it's in our work or our finances or whatever it is. So if if you are in that bondage today to your workplace or to your finances, know that God stands ready to set you free. And all he asks of you is the same thing that he asked of Peter that day, and that is to get up quickly and be willing to follow by faith. Nobody is going to achieve all of these nine alignments for us. That is the work that is ours alone to do. Will you do it? That's the question. Will you stop acting as if uh, you're destined for imprisonment and instead begin to live a life of freedom? It is ours, just as it was Peter's, and that's our destiny. All that remains is that we get up and go. We resolve in our hearts that today we're going to make a change. To live in alignment in all of these areas once and for all. And we go by faith. We say, Heavenly Father, only you know the parts of my work and the parts of my money world that are imprisoning me. And only you can provide the way of escape. We trust you to lead. I want to trust, I want to commit uh, to you that I'm going to be a follower this day and then move out in faith toward the land of freedom. Let's pray. God, I know that today's subject matter is sensitive, and when we talk about our work or our money, we're talking about some very personal things. And I'm grateful that you have already gone before us in this conversation, and you are prepared to lead the way. We give your spirit fully weight today to shift our attitudes, to shift our assumptions, to... Empower us to change our habits and our plans and to show us where true freedom is found, which is always in your will and in your plan. So never, never in our human schemes. Today we we want you to know that we love you, we trust you, and we welcome you to help us change. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Amen.